I'm so privileged to be sharing God's word with you this morning. And as many of you know, towards the end of 2019, I sensed that God was giving me a word for 2020. And the word was adjust. It wasn't really the word that I wanted, but it was the word that I thought I was hearing from the Lord for 2020, adjust. And I did know about a couple of changes on the horizon. And so I thought, okay, yes, adjust. I get it. That makes sense. I, but I did not get it. I did not get it. I had no idea how much adjusting was going to be necessary for 2020. I didn't know how much adjusting was going to be necessary for this morning. And I keep thinking about this graphic that I've seen. Under other circumstances, I'd show it to you right now, but use some imagination with me, okay? It's a pie graph. It's a round pie graph. And there's a little sliver that's labeled what you know, what you know. And there's a slightly bigger sliver that's labeled what you know you don't know. But then the majority of the pie is actually labeled what you don't know that you don't know. And that graphic very much describes uh, my real situation towards the end of 2019, looking ahead to 2020. Now, if that, if that graphic is accurate in general, I've struggled to find the originator of that or what data supports that. The person who first shared it with me was Richard Bush. But if that graphic is even like remotely accurate to how we're moving through life, that is a very sobering situation because it means that we are trying to navigate through life with very little real information. We're basically trying to get through a dangerous obstacle course with virtually no sight, no hearing, no touch, etc. So with that in mind, I want to share with you a phrase that the Lord impressed upon me as I read through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation this year. And the phrase is about inquiring of the Lord inquiring of the Lord. That's language that we don't use very often today, but basically it just means ask God. Ask God. It is exactly because we don't even know what we don't know that we need to ask God. And while there's many examples of this in scripture, I'm just going to share three of them with you this morning. So I really just have one point this morning. And my one point is inquire of the Lord. One point, three examples. So here's the first example. It's from Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. If you're on our distribution list, you received some notes this morning in your email. And so these references will be on there if you want to go back and look at them later. But this period in time on our Bible timeline, where we look at the big story, like in different sections, this falls under conquest, conquest. And Joshua is leading the Israelites in taking the promised land. They have crossed the Jordan. They have taken the city of Jericho. They have taken the city of Ai. They're getting a reputation among the kings that are west of the Jordan. Some of those kings are banding together and they're going to go to war 
uh, with Joshua and Israel. But then we have this group of people called the Gibeonites. And we read about them in Joshua 9, verses 3 through 7. It says, However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, Oh, we've come from a distant land. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to them, But perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? Dropping down to verse 12, the Gibeonites say, Oh, this bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day when we left to come to you, but now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that were filled with new wine are now cracked. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by this very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. And Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. The reason that that phrase stands out to me The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. The reason that stands out to me is that I relate to the Israelites in that situation. I know that some of you are familiar with this sort of personality assessment called SDI, Strengths Deployment Inventory which looks at our MVS, our motivational value system. Even if you aren't familiar with this system, it's okay. You've seen something like this, okay? Now, in this system, those who are primarily motivated by analyzing information, they're green. We call them green. And those primarily motivated by getting results, we call them red. And people who are primarily motivated by helping people, we call them blue. And then the people who are fairly evenly motivated by all those things, we call them a hub, like the hub of a wheel in the middle. And that's me. I'm a hub under normal circumstances. Now, one of the strengths of this particular framework is that it talks about what motivates us under normal circumstances and then What motivates us uh, under challenge when we're facing something difficult? Because sometimes the way we work and the way we function changes a little bit when the pressure is on. So when the pressure is on in the face of a challenge, I, who am normally in the middle, I go green, which means I want to analyze the information. We have a problem to solve. I want to know what's the process. What's the policy? Is there a precedent to follow? What data do we have to help us understand this more objectively? What data do we still need to collect? The Israelites in Joshua chapter 9, they appear to have gone green. In the face of this conflict with these Gibeonites, they looked at what data they had, the condition 
of the sacks and the wineskins, the sandals and the clothes and the bread. They sampled the Gibeonites' provisions and they were thorough. And they concluded that these people were telling the truth. They really were from far away and no threat at all. And so through that lens, nothing precluded the Israelites from going ahead and making a treaty with them. Nothing contradicted a previous command that they had from God to not make any sort of treaty with any sort of Canaanite. The problem here is not that the Israelites looked at the evidence. The problem is that they didn't also inquire of the Lord. And so they end up making this treaty that they have to honor. The results are not as disastrous as they could have been. Uh, at the end of the day, the Gibeonites become their servants. And maybe even if the Israelites had inquired of the Lord, the end result would have been somewhat similar. But the observation that I'm making is that they excluded the Lord from the decision. They sampled the provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. Look, information matters. Facts matter. Data matters. And sometimes God speaks through the data. And sometimes God may speak contrary to where the data is pointing. Look, friends, I can make a pro and con list with the best of them. But sometimes God is saying something different than my cost-benefit analysis is saying. All the evidence from the Gibeonites pointed one direction, but the truth was actually something else. We don't know what we don't know, and that's why we must inquire of the Lord. The second example I want to bring to your attention this morning is in 1 Chronicles, beginning in chapter 13. If we were looking at the Bible timeline, we have fast-forwarded a little bit in the biblical story to the time of the kingdom, and David is king of Israel. He has taken Jerusalem, uh, and he has this really good intention in 1 Chronicles 13.3. He says, let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. So David mobilizes some people to bring the ark. Now the ark was this special box that contained the Ten Commandments, some other important things, and it represented the presence of God. So David mobilizes some people to bring the ark from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem on a new cart, with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. And the scripture says in 1 Chronicles 13, 9, When they came to the threshing floor of Kedon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. So this first time that the ark is moved, it does not make it to Jerusalem. It gets parked in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And some more time passes, and then David says in 1 Chronicles 15, 2, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. 
because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. And the verse I really want to draw your attention to is 15.13. It says, this is David speaking, It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So on the second time they're moving the ark, it's the Levites specifically. They're mobilized to carry that out on poles, not a cart. And it goes well. And there's music and dancing and rejoicing and all goes well all the way to Jerusalem. You see, the first time that they attempt to bring the ark to Jerusalem, David and maybe the people around him too, appear to have gone red. They are motivated by results. Let's take this hill. Let's get this thing done. Let's get the ark to Jerusalem. And action is good. Action is important. The instinct to do this is right. But in retrospect, David sees the failure that, quote, we did not inquire of the Lord how to do it in the prescribed way. And or they forgot that God had already told them how to do it in the prescribed way back in Exodus and Numbers. Many of you who are watching this have lived long enough to have your own stories of when the way a decision was acted on made the difference for good or for bad. The decision itself can be right, but the way that it is presented or the way that it is timed or the way that it is coordinated with other people or things really matters. We don't know what we don't know. And so we need to inquire of the Lord not only what decision to make, but the way to live it out. Third and final example this morning is from 1 Kings 12. And on the Bible timeline, we're still in that kingdom era. This story is about David's grandson, Rehoboam, who becomes king after David's son, Solomon, dies. Picking up in verse 1, it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So Rehoboam, the new king, sends these people away, tells them to come back in three days for his decision. And then Rehoboam consulted the elders, and the elders advised him to give the people, particularly these tribes in the north, to give these people relief from their labor and their taxes. Pay attention to verse 8. It says, But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men 
who had grown up with him and were serving him. So the younger guys, Rehoboam's peers, said, oh, no, no, you should be harder on these people. So Rehoboam had these two sets of advice. He went with the latter set. He delivered his decision to be even harder on the people than his father had been. And that resulted in a revolt that split the kingdom into Israel in the north, led by Jeroboam and his successors, and Judah in the south, led by Rehoboam and his successors. And the kingdom was never united again. Eventually, Israel fell to Assyria and Judah fell to Babylon. And this story is not the only thing that caused all of those results, but it is a piece. By the time I got to this passage in my Bible reading this year, I was starting to notice not only what was said about inquiring of the Lord, but also what was not said about inquiring of the Lord. And this story is one of those times. This chapter is filled with lots of human talking. Lots of human talking. There are requests, there's advice, there's counter advice. But asking God never entered the picture. And I wonder if Rehoboam in this instance is an example of someone who went blue. People with that bent, they want to help people, and that's obviously a really good thing. But sometimes helping people can go sideways and can become pleasing people. Rehoboam polled the people, and polling the people isn't necessarily bad. Sending out a survey isn't necessarily bad. It can be really good to gather information, to gather counsel from others. And sometimes God speaks through other people. And there's certainly a, such a thing as co-discernment when together we are listening for God's voice. But to look to others' opinions without also inquiring of the Lord can get us into real trouble. Partly because people don't all agree, as we can see in this example, but also because even when you put us all together, we don't know what we don't know. So we can't turn only to people's opinions or people's advice. We also need to inquire of the Lord. Maybe you see yourself in one of these examples. Maybe in the face of a challenge or a conflict or a decision you have to make, you're tempted to overemphasize the data analysis like Joshua. Or maybe you're inclined to just power through no matter the consequences to yourself or others like David. Or maybe you let the opinions of other people influence you just a bit too much, like Rehoboam. Maybe you don't see yourself in any of these examples at all, and that's okay. I'm not trying to categorize you. What I am saying is that asking the Lord, asking the Lord and inquiring of him should supersede any other approach we tend to take, any other tendency that we might have. 
because not only is God worthy of that sort of attention and that sort of obedience, but also because it's in our best interest. <laughs> we don't know what we don't know, but he knows. And not only does he know and is he willing to tell us, he wants to tell us. He wants to guide us. And really, ultimately, it's not even about the information. It's about that relationship with him and the interaction that happens as we're inquiring of the Lord and he's answering us. I love this promise from Jeremiah 33, 3. And I think that there's something here for us as well. It says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Friends, we don't even know what we, what we don't know. I find that really humbling. I'm not sure about you. But God says, call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. So today's message is simply this one point inquire of the Lord. Ask God. If you want to learn how to know that God is speaking to you, how to know what he's saying, I encourage you to go back and watch a message from September 6th called, Can You Hear Me Now? Because in that message, I talk about this tremendous advantage that you and I can have now over the people in the Old Testament that we talked about this morning. Because in the person of Jesus, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, who indwells us, indwells those who have said yes to Jesus, so much more communication has been opened up between us and God than what most of the Old Testament people knew in their lifetime. The first step is that yes to Jesus. And if you want to know more about what that's all about, let us know. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to say a first yes to Jesus. And as you're making decisions for 2021, and as we all move into this new year of navigating the obstacle course of life. Let's be people whose first instinct is to ask God because he knows what we don't know. Let's pray together. God, you are great and there is no limit <laughs> to your knowledge and your insight. You are not bound by the confines of human memory. You're not bound by the confines of time. You're not bound to only knowing what could be seen or heard with human eyes or ears. But your knowledge, your wisdom, your insight has no end. And I thank you that you are a God who wants to open that treasure test to us and tell us great and unsearchable things that we don't know, that we can't know without your supernatural disclosure. 
I thank you that you want to have those conversations with us and you want to provide um, that guidance to us. God, I acknowledge, we acknowledge that very often we just go into our own autopilot, whatever that looks like for each of us. We go into our own autopilot of navigating through life and making decisions. Uh, and we often do not take the time and the attention to turn to you and to inquire of you and to ask you uh, for your direction. And so, God, I pray that you would make us people who become more aware of when we're slipping into these other sorts of modes. And that when we sense that prompt, we would turn to you and we would ask you, and we would be willing to be patient and wait on you for what you want to tell us, even when it's not fitting with our timeline or our sense of urgency. And that we would be people who heed what you're saying. God, I pray for those among us who are uh, currently or will soon be facing decisions about work, about housing, about schooling for themselves or their children, about uh, what will go on the calendar this year, what will go in the budget, who will be part of our lives this next year. God, I pray that even right now there might be a specific decision that comes to mind, a specific decision that you surface in our hearts that you're pointingly, pointedly asking us uh, to inquire of you over. May we be people who do that for the sake of your glory, because you're, you're worth it and you deserve it. You deserve that kind of allegiance and attention. And may we be that sort of people also because it's for our own good and for our own blessing, for our own flourishing. And may we also be people who inquire of the Lord as a testimony to those watching. That there is a God who is real and who is relevant and who desires to be at work in our lives uh, for all good reasons. May that be a powerful testimony to those who haven't said yes to you. May it lead to conversations and decisions for you. So God, thank you for your sovereignty at work in our lives. And may we more actively be leaning into that and turning to you into the midst of it. Thank you for technology and uh, technology alternatives that have allowed this message to go somewhere to somebody this morning. Uh, bless those who hear it, use it in their lives, be glorified by what happens in and through uh, this platform and everything connected with Neighborhood Church. Pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.